Hello and welcome back everyone to Acido Podcast. My name is Emir Shenturk and today I have a very interesting topic for all of you who are either European or Muslim or even both because this is what I'm going to discuss today. It's about Islam and Europe um, due to the recent developments in France. But even if you aren't Muslim or European, um, I think it's a very interesting topic to discuss because a lot of things can also be applied to other countries where religious minorities are suppressed. Uh, and especially if there are other white countries where Muslims um, face uh, racism, I think this episode might be very interesting for you if you uh, always wanted to know a bit more about it. So, as you probably uh, already guessed, I'm not going to go too much into detail and, and summarize uh, what has happened in France. Um, you can easily look these things up. Uh, I always encourage you to do so. Um, for example, one of the one of my uh, favorite websites to or n uh, news outlets um, to get more information is Reuters or Al Jazeera. Uh, BBC is also a very good news outlet, so I can also recommend uh, that. And uh, these are actually the main media outlets that are that I'm relying on. You know, uh, there are also obviously a lot more, but. Um, And obviously, I mean, the ones that I've mentioned, they are also biased and nuanced, but in comparison to the others, they are still all right. So I really enjoy um, reading news on these uh, sites. So, yeah, I'm not going to go into much detail uh, because um, I don't think there's much added value to it. I'm rather going to discuss some uh, more interesting parts, in my opinion, more interesting parts uh, of that issue which is uh, how come that politicians make such uh, decisions? Can't they think about uh, how the people feel in the country? I'm also going to talk about the responses and um, what I think should be suitable um, as a response to these kind of measures. And in the end, um, I will also make an assessment on uh, the both on both perspectives, like one on, on the political side from the politicians and on the other side of the citizens from the victimized perspective. So if you're not really familiar with the format, uh, I'm usually kind of distancing myself from being purely descriptive. And uh, I'm, I'm really trying to move away from, from mainstream, uh, mainstream arguments and just look at it from a technical perspective and how can we go from there. When the topic is kind of uh, gives way for that, I also come up with policy proposals. And I think um, this is a very uh, different approach to discussing news and political developments because usually um, people sit together, they discuss what has happened, how horrible it is, being kind of uh, emotional on that. I try to be as um, technical as possible uh, which does not mean that emotions are excluded but um, and emotions uh, in themselves they are not a bad thing but um, if we can channel it into something that uh, gives us the ability to also draft uh, proposals and come up with workable plans i think there's more added value to the listener and uh, for me as an analyst of these things um as it's just more fun i think so 
Yeah, this is a particularly interesting topic. So what what, what has happened in France? So let's have a look. Um, a couple of days ago, at the end of March, they passed a, a bill which actually provi- uh, prohibits uh, girls under 18 years to wear a hijab, which is um, kind of a headscarf, uh, you know. So they are not able to do that anymore uh, under the age of 18. And on school trips, for example, uh, mothers are not allowed to accompany, if they wear a headscarf, of, of course, they are not able to accompany um, the child um, on the trip. So uh, this has been discussed for quite some while. And I think, what does it say here? Yeah, so um, that's actually right. So since 2004, actually, France has prohibited um, headscarves and uh, face wheels in 2004 already. And um, this is kind of now uh, an extension to this um, to this rule. And I mean, we have a lot of similar things going on in Europe, for example, in Switzerland, where the uh, from from mo- like mosques um, that are built in, in, in Switzerland are not al- allowed to have the, the minarets. So this is kind of the these are like kind of mini towers next to the mosque where the uh, muezzin the guy who's actually calling people uh, to the to the prayer is going um on top on kind of a balcony right uh, on this on this tower and then he calls the muslims to the prayers five times a day obviously this is today done by by speakers but you know from the traditional um, architecture they have kept the minaret culture and they wanted to also uh, apply it in Switzerland and they prohibited it and I mean there are all sorts of anti-Islam um, regulations uh, throughout uh, European countries and the reason for that is that a lot of European countries have Muslim like large Muslim minorities so if we think about other countries where the minorities um, are often also from the um, have have the same uh, religious background as the national like the the main uh, nationals there um the contrast in europe is that there are a lot of uh, muslims in in europe which is predominantly christian and uh, these minorities are in some countries you know make up oh, 10 to 20% and um, this is a considerable minority and you can you, you can imagine that they want to also kind of uh, stick to their lifestyles it doesn't matter which which one minority it is it could have also been uh, a buddhist uh, minority or a christian minority in a, a muslim country or a buddhist country or whatever the constellation is important here right so and there we are at the first technical issue so when we think about um, minorities and groups and how they, how minorities actually act and behave in groups, there are certain dynamics that uh, we need to take or certain factors that we need to take into account when we are discussing these things. First of all, there is the matter of size, right? So if we have a group of 10 people, and I mean, I'm applying the, the logic that we have on a national scale or even on an international scale, um, onto the individual level so you can understand it uh, better 
as um, the logic remains the same. You know, it's uh, it's actually uh, parallel to what we are experiencing on the national level. So let's imagine we have a group of 10 people, right? And all of them are men. So there is a very fundamental common factor that they like a factor that they all have in common, right? So they share this fundamental aspect of being as they are all being men, right? And because of that, there is like certain, certain, um, let's say, points of potential friction are already removed from the equation. If we add that these 10 people are all straight, you know, there's no homosexual among them, then we have another set of potential points of friction removed from the equation. So the internal group coherence is growing. And the more factors we can exclude, or the more commonalities we can we, we find uh, uh, among those 10 people, the higher the group coherence is, and this means that there is less potential for friction among the members of this group, which does not mean that this doesn't hap uh, happen, but I mean, um, it reduces, it greatly reduces of uh, the set of problems that this group might encounter among themselves. So, doing that, let's let's assume that we have a group of um, of men. They are all straight. Let's say they are all between. Um, their height is all between one seventy and one eighty, and uh, no one is um, obese and no one is too skinny as well. So these are all potential things, you know, that, that strengthen kind of the group character. If they're all having black hair or red hair, um, this is another commonality which also removes... And I mean, this continues and continues, right? So we have a 100% um, coherent group, ideally, and this would work uh, with minimal fric friction, right? So let's remove one person from this whole group and we have nine people left which are highly uh, similar and then we add a woman there, right? And she is from the outset, you know, from a very fundamental aspect of being, she is different uh, to the nine other members. And because of that, she as a single person brings in the potential of... Uh, possible friction within that group this is not a negative thing you know i'm not i'm not, I'm not judging it i'm not saying uh, that group should be 100 percent coherent i'm just saying technically speaking because we remove uh, one coherent member and um, add a dissimilar new member to the group there is a potential that there can be friction among the members now if we because this this woman is and before we go to adding more uh, women to to that equation um, because she is currently alone there's a high probability that she is not going she, that she is going to set aside a certain uh, set of thoughts or beliefs in order to strengthen the group coherence and also because she is um, or she kind of fears that she will be excluded. So, for example, if the group of men is going to talk um, 
badly about uh, women and women's rights um, or something that the woman personally and this could be completely detached to uh, the the genders here right she may be let's say the the nine people they like uh, soccer i'm saying soccer like i'm an american no they like football but she likes basketball right i mean this is completely unrelated to the gender right but because she is different, or she's not different, but dissimilar to the group members, they will associate her different preference on uh, her favorite sport with the gender and ex start to exclude her on that basis, kind of. You know, this, is, this becomes a point of friction. Although if it would be the other men that we've uh, removed before from the group, and he would have said, okay, I like basketball more than football, then nothing would have happened because they wouldn't associate with the, with the gender. So if there is a very little minority, um, they tend to kind of not mention these things, as in this example, the woman would not mention that she prefers basketball over, over football. And she tries to keep it a secret, you know, and tries to uh, integrate herself by talking about football and being um, and, and closing kind of the group coherence. So if we remove another man and put another woman um, into that, then she gets kind of enforcement, right? But the minority is still too small to make a considerable uh, considerable. Uh, input from their side although the likelihood is increased right so the two women and let's assume that the second one also likes basketball more they both have a higher chance to kind of also put some basketball things on the agenda of that group because um, they have uh, each other you know as um, a strengthening partner so if we remove two more and we have like more um balanced group of uh, six to four people but we can also think about seven to three which is also a crucial margin actually so if you remove uh, one man first and put another woman in so we have three women and um, seven men the group dynamic changes right and at that point the minority starts to claim also certain rights so they don't want to be uh, giving away all their identity and they want to put their agenda also forward which will also make them uh, request participation and they also want to further their points on the agenda yet they are still aware that they are the minority and they are not going to go for very fundamental things um, which might be against the coherence of the majority group but just think about it in such a group we have um, a minority of 30 percent and the majority of 70 percent and with the increased percentage the minority group claims more rights and uh, wants to represent the identity within the group which is also um, which is also logic right and this continues until we reach the, um, the 50 percent and at that point we have a balanced uh, group so we cannot uh, talk about um, coherence, like full coherence at this point, and there need to be some compromises. But this is only the technical side uh, when we think about the size, right? When we think about the dissimilarity, or let's say the extent of dissimilarity within the group, um, then we have a whole other dimension that we need to talk about when we think about the group dynamics, right? So 
Um, I use the example of a group of men and gradually the minority, uh, the, the female minority within that group is increasing, right? This is a very, this is an example of a very dissimilar, uh, among very dissimilar groups, right? And dissimilar minority to the majority. But uh, it could have also been that we, that we talk about um, men with a certain cultural background coming into a group of men which have uh, or who have a very different cultural background. And this is the thing that is happening in Europe. So we have a lot of minorities in Europe which are not all Muslim. And the other minorities are relatively quiet in, in, in Europe because they are at the point, as I said, uh, due to the size, um, they are not able to push their agenda um, on the national scale, right? And if they are very close to the culture there, then they are they don't they virtually don't have any problems in Europe. So we think about Americans in uh, Europe because they are also uh, a white ethnicity. And basically, they are from Europe because their ancestors are from Europe, so they carry this the same bloodline, practically, right? So, uh, and I'm talking about white Americans here. Don't get me wrong; uh, I'm not talking about African Americans. Um, and if white Americans live in Europe, they won't experience uh, too many problems because the set of norms and values are similar. They're obviously not the same, but I mean they're quite similar. In comparison to, let's say, um, a Japanese person in Europe who has a very different set of uh, norms and values. And because the minority is very small and also very similar to what is going on here culturally, they don't have any problems. But when we think about Muslims, they are a considerable minority within Europe and the culture is also very dissimilar to the Christian uh, culture that is prevailing in, uh, in Europe. These two factors create a lot of potential for friction because obviously the Muslims, they want to be able to live their religion and uh, according to their norms and values. And because they are a sufficiently big minority within that uh, region, they will naturally push uh, for more rights and the ability to, let's say, pray five times a day um, in a mosque and wear a headscarf if they want to. They want to be able to speak their language um, in um, also, also in Europe. So whether that's uh, Turkish or Arabic or Farsi or whatnot, it does not matter, you know. So they want to be living um, that also in Europe. And um, actually, there's nothing that speaks against it, uh, except for the fact that the majority group feels threatened by the minority, you know, with increasing size. And we usually tend to think or... We don't tend to think, but uh, the media tends to tell us that Islam, uh, this is kind of linked to Islam in itself, 
But what we are talking about here is a very normal uh, development between uh, minorities and majorities. So exchange it with any other uh, minority with growing size and growing dissimilarity between majority and minority group, the friction, the potential for friction is increasing. Um, in this case, uh, a lot of things are linked to the Muslim faith and to the exotic appearance of it and how it is uh, lived by the Muslims. And uh, you probably also heard um, a lot of um, media outlets and journalists link it to terrorism. Um, these are these are very superficial ar um, arguments. I don't think that they really play a big role uh, in this whole thing, not in a, in its essence, right? But on a, on a superficial scale, maybe. So why are there so many anti-Muslim policies in place in Europe? So we have to think about it in that way. Europe is a place where um, the economies are very advanced. So these are very usually very rich countries. And in comparison to the rest of the world, even the lesser rich countries are pretty, pretty rich um, against the rest of the world. And we have to say that as, as an important factor, right? So there's a lot, lot to lose in, in Europe. And as the majority group, with a growing size of minority, of a dissimilar minority, naturally, uh, the position is kind of challenged. Obviously, we know, I mean, Muslims are not go coming here and trying to take over the whole continent. You know, they just want, want to be living the same way that they are living uh, in their home countries, but they just want to be abroad, you know, for, for various reasons. Some just come here because they like it better here, but they still want to be able to practice their faith and uh, speak their language, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, others flee uh, wars, um, wars especially that have been financed with Western money, European money predominantly. So these people have uh, the best reasons to come to Europe and uh, live here, it's kind of to it is actually, in my opinion, uh, the responsibility of Europe to help those people and kind of provide uh, for their living, you know, because they're fleeing the wars that they've started. And But this is a whole different story. Anyway, some flee wars, some, uh, yeah, they have to face, some face uh, political persecution in their countries, um, all sorts of reasons, you know. Um, some just grew up here and happen to be here you know they they view it as their home so there is no such agenda that that muslims are going to come to europe and uh, trying to take over uh, the continent and politicians know that and politicians they utilize it it is not like they are sitting at home and thinking oh these damn muslims um or these, I don't know what ethnicity, they're horrible, or something like that. They might have tendencies, you know, they think, oh, look at them, they're this and that, you know, but in the next moment, they're not even thinking about it anymore. 
if you're in a position where you hold so much power that you can influence um, the course of action that ha that is uh, being taken at the national level in politics, you don't even have time or energy to to develop such a hate hatred, you know, against anyone practically. You know, you are busy loving yourself that you are such a cool person up there, you know, deciding what the country is going to do or not. And um, next thing you know, you also kind of laugh at all the people who follow your words and uh, you kind of um, like that power. So these politicians, they utilize the words to kind of set a fire and spur the hatred um, within people who have already these kind of sentiments. These sentiments, obviously, they uh, come into existence because uh, people who are not achieving any me anything meaningful in their lives um, need to kind of fill the, the gaps um, of, of lacking uh, self-fulfillment with blaming others or not even blaming this is not blaming they're feeling it with they're filling it with a feeling um, that kind of stimulates uh, their their mind right so hatred is a very strong feeling and when you feel it just like love or excitement it stimulates your whole body and your whole mind And this is when you kind of feel alive. I mean, this is why we all always um, remember these kind of moments when we are excited or uh, love somebody, um, feel very happy or sad. All these kind of extreme feelings, this is what we uh, remember practically. And because people with uh, the lacking ability of, of self-fulfillment usually very uneducated people who are not very into um, or have a very poor connection to aesthetic things they lack the feeling of these kind of fulfilling emotions and um, the easiest but most or one of the most intensive feelings that you can have is hatred and um, foreigners are pretty damn good target to uh, to have when you when you need somebody to hate and the politicians know that interestingly when you are in such a state where you develop strong emotions and um, really try to feel those emotions um, all the time you are not able to make very good decisions and we all know that just ask a psychologist uh, if that's true And she's going to tell you, yes, that's definitely true. When you're sad, you're making wrong decisions as well as when you're overly happy, excited, or if you are extremely angry or hate somebody. And um, the worst decisions actually happen in that uh, state of mind. So politicians are using these things and um, they bring kind of a continu uh, continuity to it. They gradually build on it and France now has um, reached a stage where they kind of institutionalize it. Um, but the only thing that would make them more successful in their approach to control the emotions would be to implement even harsher um, uh, policies against Muslims here. So um, don't be... Uh, 
don't be thinking that politicians out there really feel the same amount of hate that their followers do. Um, they don't. They usually just utilize these feelings um, and they're just sitting at a table just like me right now and analyze these things and say, okay, well, uh, we are at this, at, that, um, at this stage or at that stage and they can discuss these things on a technical basis and analytical basis as I'm doing right now and my... Uh, task is to give you that knowledge actually so um, this is why I also don't have I don't I don't really uh, sit in front of uh, the articles that I read and say oh look this and that politician is such a dumbass or something like that because I know this is just the way they operate uh, and the way they use uh, certain methods to uh, gain political control and once you have a lot of people with strong emotions um, behind you and you can control these emotions, you can also, uh, to a certain extent, um, control democratic outcomes. And this is um, the whole point, because um, the state uh, is not merely based on the, poli the, the social policies that a country is making towards foreigners, but there's a lot of things... In the financial markets, economy, defense, uh, education and technology that these politicians behind closed doors are also profiting from. So this can be a quite useful vehicle to um, utilize emotions of people and these policies are just uh, basically displaying how receptive um, a certain people is for such cheap for such cheap methods yeah so uh, there you have it there was a little step to france so french people seem to be very receptive for um, em emotional um, how, how can i frame it you know to be uh, kind of misused, misused uh, emotionally by politicians, uh, which means that they have apparently a lot of problems with self-fulfillment and self-development. But uh, that's another story. Of course, it's it's not like that, you know. Um, just just kidding. But um, we can see it throughout Europe, you know. We can, but we can surely say that in Europe we have a problem like that. That politicians utilize uh, these kind of or exploit these kind of emotions we see it as i said in switzerland in germany in fact the third largest party of the country is a racist party and uh, basically the whole party program is uh, based on anti-foreigner policies which is uh, actually very very sad uh, to hear that such a like actually Europe's uh, or the biggest country in the European Union um, is actually so dominated by racists. Uh, we have similar streams in the UK and these kind of developments, I, I want to say are, are very bad or sad or whatnot, but it's actually all logic that they're using these kind of methods. On the other side, we have the victims, the Muslims, and their reaction, I don't really get their reaction, you know, it's, uh, I have to critique that as well, because 
they start in typical Western fashion, going on social media and making these campaigns, changing their profile pictures uh, to kind of a black banner or removing po profile pictures uh, altogether, posts about we, we stand together and I don't know, I wear hijab and these kind of things. I think this is this is crap. You know, this is some dramatic and uh, nonsense crap kind of that gets us nowhere. We had the same stuff with the Black Lives Matter thing. A couple of weeks later, nobody is talking about it. And uh, then the media is also... Do you think, like, the people, uh, like the police in the United States stopped killing black people because of the protests? We are just not hearing about it anymore because the media decided, okay, we need to move on to the next agenda point. The same thing is happening here. And then people get the feeling, and this is also <laughs> emotional misuse because uh, the, the media, which is also kind of linked to, to politics uh, through various channels, you know, they are controlling the feelings of the victims by kind of giving them the feeling of being hurt you know, so they feel kind of euphoric and this kind of stimulates their positive feelings that they are being hurt and this satisfies them. And a couple of weeks later, nobody's talking about it anymore, but you know, the policies are in place. So the politicians playing the game from both sides. On the one side, they kind of spur the negative emotions uh, with the masses, with the uneducated masses. On the other side, they utilize the media um, which also gives the media like the the, uh, the possibility to um, be juxtaposed to politics instead of being put together, which they virtually are. And the media kind of spurs the, the positive feelings of the victims by giving them the stage and the, the possibility to talk about all these things. And then they are uh, their feelings... Um, are stimulated from a positive aspect which kind of fulfills them and that's that's that so they don't have the feeling to go out anymore and protest and push for a meaningful agenda right and this is incredibly smart this is genius this is plain and simple this is genius and nobody gets it all these muslims in germany in the netherlands france uk Right now, they are feeling so great, you know, all right, we stand together, you know, we support each other, brother, sister, yeah, mashallah, inshallah, you know. But they are not getting that this is also staged and their emotions and their emotions are subject to misuse, they are exploited. The politicians want them to change their profile pictures and act as if they stand together. Why? Because for that time frame of a couple of months, they feel understood, they feel satisfied, and that's enough. You know, until the next wave of something happening, I don't know. Have you ever seen that these kind of uh, legislations have been reversed? No. No, they're not going to be reversed. Why don't they push... For such an agenda. Why don't they go out, 
and like the Muslims frame or kind of sit together. I don't know. There are so many um, councils and forums and uh, whatnot. Why don't they come together and say, okay, we have these kind of policy proposals. We want them implemented and we are pushing for it and we are protesting for these policy proposals. Right now, people just go and this, the same thing happened with the Black Lives Matter thing. I mean, 100%, we can just apply the same things that I just said about the stimulation of positive and negative feelings. We can apply the same thing to the Black Lives Matter thing, just exchanging names. And the blacks being the Muslims uh, in, that, uh, in that sense. Why didn't the blacks in America or the Muslims right now in Europe, why don't they come together put together meaningful policy proposals. And I mean, there are tons of lawyers and politicians and uh, political scientists, doctors, um, academic doctors, of course, uh, who can come together and form these kind of things. Why don't they do it? Now, the answer to that is kind of twofold. On the one hand, obviously because it's the more difficult way right so it's not very easy to do that uh, not in the sense of from an op um, operative side but um, from the thinking you know or mentality wise it is easier to change your profile picture and post a couple of stories on instagram and and, and claim that you are defending human rights and uh, diversity you know that makes you feel good and some people give you likes um and I mean, influencers, they post some some uh, some stories and uh, and posts, and then they feel great that they kind of contributed to societal progress. That's bullshit. But it's easy. It's attractive. Everything that's easy and kind of uh, gives you some sort of uh, edge uh, towards the others, it's, it's welcomed. And people do that. On the other hand, if um, less say the blacks in the United States or the Muslims in Europe, they really push for a meaningful agenda on a technical basis, as I'm proposing it. Politics just won't let them, and this is the next thing that we need to consider. You know, um, they wouldn't get any media coverage. They might be threatened. You know, death threats um, against them or their families uh, might be realistic consequences that they need to face. But this is the only way that we can actually tackle those things. So instead of just talking and, you know, going with the flow of how the media and ultimately politicians want you to behave, instead of doing that, just think what makes most sense. For example, this is this is what drives me. I mean, it is. It's not about uh, sitting there and thinking about how bad the whole situation is and how corrupt the structure and the system is. We all know that, kind of. And even if you don't know that, and where is the added value of finding out how corrupt it is? There is no added value in it. It is important to think about what can we do. And here, meaningful responses would be to push for agendas, like for political agendas uh, that say, 
all right, we want a certain amount of foreigners in the parliament, in executive uh, offices, in boards of directors, and every company is kind of forced to or is re required to have that and that amount of or that percentage of foreigners uh, in their company. That's that. Because then, and you probably heard it uh, in the last episodes as well, this fosters the means or adds to the means of reproduction that a certain group has. And it is all about, for progress to happen, the most important factor is that a group has means of reproduction. Posting pictures on Instagram and Facebook is not going to <laughs> reproduce anything. You know, you're just mutually um, approving yourself and uh, saying, giving you a thumbs up, say, okay, you're cool, I'm cool, and that's that. You know, it doesn't bring you any anywhere. What is important at this point is that the minorities in the first place become aware of what I just said, that they need to kind of build the means of reproduction. So if they are not able to kind of propose policies that will enable them to get those means and utilize them in the future, then all the picture posting and protests and uh, the out outrage is for nothing. You know, it doesn't bring us anywhere. And um, I don't think that this is what, what uh, Muslims want to do at this point, right? I mean, then the the argument of, oh, we need to achieve everything via dialogue and stuff uh, comes up. And I'm, I'm not saying that they should be using violence. I mean, uh, this is the last thing that... Uh, uh, they should resort to actually they should not at all resort to violence because i mean in the end europe is europe and it is in its history it was never a muslim region so as long as you're a minority somewhere you know there's never ever like the potential for using violence you know to uh, get your way so we need to utilize dialogue of course but the dialogue needs to be analytical and technical and looking forward and this is when politicians are going to take you seriously you know these are people with incredible powers these are people with also incredible knowledge and wisdom well, not may maybe not wisdom but believe me a lot of politicians are incredibly smart even though they might might not look like it all the times and they are aware of, of it, you know, so they don't take anyone seriously who is not on the same level as them. And especially not if it's a foreigner, you know. And because of that, it is important that no matter which minority we are talking about, we can even apply all these concepts that I've just uh, explored with you together um, to uh, the relationship between women and men right and it's always the same the minority groups or the the suppressed group kind of manages to come together via these social media narratives and protests but in the end no meaningful response is formed you know it takes decades 
sometimes centuries um, for politics to adapt to the uh, wishes of um, the respective group. And I mean, let's just uh, let's just uh, think about black people in the United States. Five hundred years they have been enslaved, and I'm counting the last hundred years as well, not only for physical but also for mental slavery. You know, since hundred like since over a hundred years. Uh, right now, yeah, I think it's around 100 years, Muslims have been in Europe, they're subject to the same treatment, or more or less the same treatment, not in a, a sense of slavery, but they are also uh, a disadvantage here. And we need to push for these meaningful technical agendas, because otherwise we'll have a hard time, you know, any, any minority will have a hard time uh, being accepted and, and uh, being an integral part of uh, a certain society. And then usually the, those politicians come up to you and say, um, like when I say come up to you, like to the people, and say, all right, well, it's, it's not that easy, you know, it's very difficult to push um, for those uh, legislations and all these laws that need to be implemented. Uh, let me tell you what. And you can hundred percent, hundred percent. Believe me. Uh, you can, you can question everything I've said, but this is something that you can never, never question. If they want to, they can do it. Believe me. Look, we can just take an example. <laughs> two two or three months ago, when the the GameStop stock. Um, I don't know if you you remember it, but on the financial markets, it was a big big thing. You know. The GameStop stock was uh, subject to kind of an attack of uh, retail investors who suddenly pumped all their money into the stock, you know, which is actually a stock that was dying. The whole company does not have any internal value in itself. But uh, then the, the stock price skyrocketed over thousands of percent. No, two weeks later the um, respective legislators in the United States, they started to discussing how they can prevent this in the future. And then they brought regulations on the way to prevent it. It just took them two weeks to make uh, yeah, to draft legislation that practically changes the whole structure of the financial system and does not enable for such attacks from retail investors anymore. You know what that means? This is a huge restriction of capital flow that they are talking about. And they are able to come up with drafts and uh, proposals how they can tackle it. Within two weeks, three weeks. So if they wanted to, obviously they would have uh, ended police brutality, how it is called uh, in the United States. This is plain and simple. This racism is not police brutality, this racism. Of course they can end it. Of course they can control it. Of course they can do it here in Europe uh, and with the Muslim people, you know. Of course they can say, no, hijabs are allowed everywhere. You know, you welcome part of the society. Of course you can speak your language. Of course we are going to have quotas where women are uh, in, in top positions uh, in the economy or foreigners. Of course they can do it. They can do whatever they want. We practically, as the citizens of any country, of a democratic country, give them the right to do so. 
and even if we don't give them the right more often than not they just push for something that they really want to do and if politicians they want to do something and they benefit from it they go for it you know they're not going to listen to uh, what people say right so don't get fooled with the argument that it takes time and the dialogue takes time and we need to spread the word and all this kind of bullshit as uh, i'm sorry for my language but you know Don't get fooled by all these bullshit as arguments, you know, which they're in essence are. And uh, it is more a technical thing. So to sum up the whole thingy, as I like to call uh, <laughs> very big things, I like to call them thingies, to, to sum up, uh, to wrap it up is um, that the reaction is, is quite normal. You know, every majority group... Um, has a feeling of um, or is feeling threatened by a growing minority especially when it's a dissimilar minority and not a, a similar minority so in order or in an attempt to kind of preserve the group coherence in order to remain functional and this is something i probably forgot to mention um, the importance of coherence is a functionality of a group so uh, I'm just going to quickly sketch it for you as an example. If you have been, uh, um, if you remember back in in school uh, that you had to do some some kind of group project with three or four people. Everyone hates group projects. You know, you never get along. You never kind of. You're never successful with it. And uh, in the end, nobody actually gets uh, the grade um, that they wanted. And it's a compromise uh, from the outset, kind of. But the closer you are in terms of character and uh, goals, vision and working style and communication, obviously, um, the more successful you're going to be. And this is the same with any group. This is just natural. I mean, um, it also makes sense from a biological point of view. And the same thing goes also for nations. So the more coherent um, or more homogeneous a society is, uh, usually less social friction is uh, among them. And it does not only mean that we are talking about ethnicity here. You know, there can be a highly homogeneous, like from an uh, ethnic point of view, highly homogeneous society but huge difference in religious views and uh, this can make up for uh, on, on the other side and, and create friction. So coherence is uh, somewhat important and um, naturally like we, we inherited it kind of from our ancestors. We know that um, coherence is kind of needed. So majorities feel threatened with growing dissimilar um, my, uh, minorities And um, what is happening here is that politicians utilize the negative emotions that a person can feel through hatred in order to exercise political power. And um, the reason why hatred can be utilized so well is that when a people um, or a certain amount of people like that we call a mass um, lacks the means of reproduction like the cognitive means of rec reproduction of self-fulfillment and self-development 
they feel kind of empty in order to kind of fill those gaps with strong emotions. They utilize negative emotions because they're the ones that can be just thrown in the middle and people just jump on it and uh, feel those emotions. And this kind of replaces the feeling of fulfillment that you would have if you develop yourself and be just like a very cool motherfucker, right? And um, on the other side, politicians utilize the positive feelings of the victimized group by giving them the chance to voice their opinion, but not in a meaningful way. So this is kind of just um, a empty drama that they're allowing them to do. And once they do it, they feel satisfied and uh, they don't go further to push for meaningful action. That's basically it, you know. I mean, I haven't talked about uh, this specific case too much in, in France uh, and I don't need to um, because, as I said, um, the system that I just, or the dynamic that I just outlined um, can be applied to a lot of situations where my majority and minority groups have um, problems and uh, this is very prominent in Europe as I said don't uh, get too emotional with these kind of things I myself uh, am a Muslim in Europe and yeah I just kind of view it kind of emotionlessly if you will to a certain extent of course um, but yeah it is what it is you know the dynamics and um the functioning of those things is natural. What we only can do is try to understand it. And we can only do that by being, by analyzing it. And a good analysis is always technical. And we need to take technical things into account and leave um, other things uh, such as our personal agenda and pushing for our popularity through... <laughs> posting certain things on social media we need to set it aside so i hope you like this um, episode um, i really enjoy talking about it uh, um, and i hope <laughs> to be able to record a lot more analytical and technical and enjoyable episodes in the future thank you very much for listening if you really liked it i hope that you're going to share it and um more than sharing, I would really enjoy if you discuss it with your friends and family or maybe with me sending an email my way. As I said, thank you very much and hear you next time on the Seed Podcast. Bye.